you often hear people talking about life-changing events. We've all had them. Uh, sometimes we know that they're life-changing immediately. Other times it's only with hindsight that we understand their significance. And they change our lives to varying degrees. There's endless varieties of them. Moving house, starting a new school, changing jobs. These can all be life-changing events. Uh, being diagnosed with a debilitating condition or being healed from one is life-changing. I remember when I first met Tissa. I didn't know at the time that it was a life-changing event, but it was. A friend of mine uh, uh, was blown up in Iraq, and he survived, but he had to have both his legs amputated. In a split second, boom, his life has changed forever. Having children is life-changing. Uh, children turn our lives upside down in, uh, in a good way for the most part. And now there's uh, COVID. For many people and families, the pandemic has precipitated a whole sequence of life-changing events. So many things can alter the course of our lives for good and for bad. When I went through the discernment process before I was able to begin training for ordination, they got us to do this exercise where we had to plot all the most significant events of our lives on a timeline. And you, you don't appreciate how many there are until you have to do an exercise like that. You realize just how many things, how many events have had an impact on the course of your life. Paul begins this passage by thanking God that the Thessalonians have experienced a life-changing event. What was it? They heard the word of God. But this life-changing event, hearing the word of God, is life-changing for some, but not for others. There are plenty of people who hear the word of God, and it doesn't change anything. They just carry on as before. But for the Thessalonians, it changed everything. So let's follow this passage through and find out why and how uh, the word of God changed the Thessalonians. And in so doing, we'll find out how the word of God can be life-changing for us. So the first thing to notice here is that God has spoken. Verse 13, when you received the word of God. What do we mean when we say the word of God? Well, normally we mean one of two things. There's a lot of overlap between the two. We either mean the Bible or we mean Jesus. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Let's focus first on the Bible. The Bible is not the only way that God speaks to us, but it is the main way. And you might ask, well, why would the God of the universe choose to speak to us through a book? Well, because speech is important. And if you want to preserve it, you need the written word. In Genesis, we're told that God spoke creation into being. What's more, God has created us with the ability to speak to develop language and written language. Now, I think we take language for granted because we really can't imagine not having it. And so we can sometimes look at a book, any book, as being a, a sort of commonplace, mediocre thing when actually it's phenomenal. We can get what's in here, in our heads, onto the pages of a book 
in incredible detail. Language and the written word gives us tremendous creative power. Uh, Language is one of the things that distinguishes us from animals. Why wouldn't God speak to us through the written word? It's amazing. We might take it for granted, but it's amazing the fact that it even exists. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathed. It's been inspired by God. That doesn't mean that God has dictated the Bible. The biblical authors weren't like um, transcribing uh, word for word that which God had downloaded into their into their brains, into their minds. Uh, you know, like a, a CEO of a company um, transcribing a letter to his or her uh, PA. It's not like that. But when we say it's been inspired by God, it does mean that God has worked in and through the biblical authors to say what he wants to say to humanity. And of course, God's message to humanity became most evident in the person of Jesus Christ. The word became flesh. Now, some of the biblical authors announce God's word as well as writing it down. So uh, we read what the Old Testament prophets wrote, but we also know that they announced it to the leaders of the nation. Um, And most of the prophets begin their message with something like, the word of the Lord came to me, or thus says the Lord. In other words, they're saying, this isn't just something I've made up. This isn't from my imagination. It's not my idea. This word has come from God. And then in the New Testament, uh, we have the apostles. And um, and here we find Paul saying in verse 13, when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God. This is Paul's equivalent of thus says the Lord. The New Testament apostles have the same level of authority as the Old Testament prophets. The prophets and the apostles who announced God's word and wrote it down are unique. What they said and what they wrote is uniquely authoritative. Of course, the gift of prophecy is present in the church today, but we don't have prophets akin to those of the Old Testament. Uh, Gifts of preaching, teaching, evangelism, and leadership exist in the church today, but we don't have apostles Uh, No one should be claiming to be a prophet or an apostle in today's church because to do so is to put one's own sort of message on a par with scripture. And we can't do that. Uh, A preacher or teacher should only be taken seriously if what they say rests on the firm foundation of scripture. God speaks through people today in all kinds of ways, but only when their message aligns with what we've already received in the Bible. When Paul says, you heard the word of God from us, he means that he has been commissioned by God to proclaim the word, to proclaim Christ in a uniquely authoritative way. You know, in one sense, we have an advantage over the Thessalonians. When they first heard the word of God from Paul, uh, none, of, none of it was written down. Of course, they had the Old Testament, but none of the new. So uh, for Paul's first letter, in fact, to the Thessalonians is um, very probably one of the first, if not the first, 
New Testament letters to be written. We're in such a privileged position. We live at a time when the whole of the New Testament has been written down, organized, and translated into our language. The printing press was invented nearly 600 years ago, which means we can all own our own copy of the Bible in our own language. Almost everyone in Australia can read, and that means we can read the Bible for ourselves. And even if you can't read, uh, you can get the Bible as a, a, an audio book, the whole thing, with commentary. Uh, we can even get the Bible on our phones, and none of us are very far from our phones, or most of us uh, are never very far from our phones. The, the, the Bible has never been more accessible. We can literally hear the Word of God anytime we like. I wonder, are we taking advantage of that? Over the course of a week or even a day, you hear a multiplicity of voices uh, on just about every subject. You imbibe a huge range of opinions and perspectives from family, friends, work colleagues, authors, columnists, editors, musicians, scriptwriters, uh, film directors, politicians, celebrities, presenters, uh, and so on. You hear what all these people have to say. Take YouTube, for example. A lot of the continent that, uh, content that's really popular right now is, is basically uh, people giving running commentaries on other videos. Um, there's this guy who calls himself, I've only discovered him uh, recently by looking into this, but there's this guy who calls himself PewDiePie. Uh, and his YouTube channel is ranked number five in terms of number of subscribers. Uh, he has 110 million subscribers. Um, that's not, you know, all the people that watch his channel. That'll be far more, but he's got 110 million people who subscribe to it. And he's just a guy in his early 30s telling you what he thinks about random stuff. Things he finds on TikTok, uh, game shows, reality TV, all that kind of thing. And as far as I can tell, PewDiePie doesn't have any particular qualification that makes his opinion any more valuable or interesting than anyone else's. He's not a psychologist or a, or a, or a comedian or a politician, a religious leader, a journalist. Uh, he's just some random bloke. But there are obviously millions of people who find his videos interesting and want to hear what he has to say. And that's fair enough. I'm not slamming PewDiePie or anyone else who produces this kind of content, um, I simply want to raise this question. Who is speaking to you? Whose voice or voices are you listening to? Who are the people who are speaking into your life and influencing you on a daily and weekly basis? Are you allowing God to speak into your life on a daily basis? Are you opening your Bible and reading his word? I mean, you might be spending a lot of time on YouTube or watching the news or talking with mates. You hear what all these people have to say. But are you taking the time to hear what God has to say? God has spoken. Are we listening? That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is this. The Thessalonians accepted Paul's message as the word 
of God. When it comes to God's word being life-changing, this is the first part of the equation. The second part is to act on it, and we'll come to that. Uh, but the word of, for, for the word of God to change your life, you first have to believe that it is the word of God. Not everyone Paul preached to accepted that what he was proclaiming was God's word. Paul got a hard time, particularly from the Jews who thought the opposite. They thought he was spreading lies and heresy, the antithesis of truth. And so they beat him and stoned him and drove him out of town. They wanted him dead. Today, most people in our culture don't accept that the Bible is the word of God, although they probably won't stone you for proclaiming it. Most of the time, it's not that they read it. It's not that they read it and say, okay, I've read this, and you know, on balance of, of uh, you know, all that I've discovered, I don't believe this is the word of God. Normally, it's the other way around. They don't believe that God would reveal truth to humanity through a book, and so they don't take the trouble to read it. I find people's lack of interest in the Bible quite amazing. Um, I love reading, and I like to read books that have been influential. And there are all kinds of books out there like that. Books you hear about all the time that are referenced in, in our culture. You know, you just, you just hear them mentioned, um, quite regularly. You know, things like War and Peace. You've all heard of that book. 1984, To Kill a Mockingbird, Lord of the Rings. These are all really well-known, influential books. And if I hear about a book enough, I think, I ought to read that. That's obviously a really important book. Okay, so here we have a book that was written over a period of approximately 1,500 years by at least 40 different authors. That makes it vastly different from any other book that's ever been written, straight off the bat. It's had a greater impact on the world than any other book. Western civilization has been founded on the teaching and the message of this book. Globally, it's the number one bestseller, and it always has been. Week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. One cannot fully understand our history or our culture or the way that we think and perceive the world without reference to the Bible. In fact, you cannot fully understand the world that we live in without having some grasp on the message of the Bible. Whether or not you believe it's God's word, the Bible is essential reading for anyone who wants to be educated. If you recognize it as God's word, though, it's dynamite, it's life-changing, the Thessalonians accepted what Paul was saying as God's word. They believed it. And that is the essence of faith. And you might say, well, my faith is in Jesus, not the Bible. And certainly we worship Jesus. We don't worship the Bible. But we have to have faith in God's word because without it, we wouldn't know very much about Jesus. Although we would still know about Jesus because he's written about by uh, both Jewish and Roman historians. So uh, there's no doubt as to the fact that Jesus existed. He is a real historical character, person, despite what many people uh, think in, in popular culture. But the key thing is, because the Thessalonians accepted God's word, 
God's word was now at work in them. God has spoken, in this case, through Paul. The Thessalonians have heard that message. They've accepted it as God's word. And what's more, they've acted upon it. They've accepted the word in the literal sense. They believe Paul's message. And so they have also accepted the one to whom the word points, the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, and they've received him as their Lord and Savior. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We often hear, don't we, that words are powerful. And so it shouldn't surprise us to learn that God's word is supremely powerful. As I said, he spoke the whole of creation into being. So when we talk about God's word being at work in the Thessalonians and and in us, we mean a couple of things. We mean receiving and acting upon God's word, that is to say, dwelling on it and putting it into practice. And we mean following Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And you can't separate any of those things. They all go together. When we think of it like that, it's not hard to see why God's word is alive and active. It's at work in us. The word of God is life-changing for those who believe. Two weeks ago, we saw that the Thessalonians turned from idols to serve the living and true God. Idolatrous pagan societies were very religious. Uh, Just about every aspect of day-to-day life was connected in some way to idol worship. You couldn't turn your back on all that and nobody notice. It was a huge life change, a complete turnaround. And the Thessalonians suffered for it. They were accused of defying the Roman emperor Caesar because they gave their allegiance to another king, Jesus. The persecution was so intense, as we saw before, that uh, Paul and Silas had to uh, flee Thessalonica. Uh, Family and neighbors would have ostracized them. That would have had an impact on their businesses, on their livelihoods. From time to time, they may have been arrested, imprisoned, and beaten. Following Jesus came at a cost. Imagine losing your job or your livelihood just because you are known to be a Christian. In his letter, Paul goes on to emphasize the persecution of the early church uh, by the Jews. He highlights ways that the Jews have set themselves against Christ and set themselves against Christ's followers. And at this point, some people accuse Paul of being anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish, when really he's just stating facts. I mean, the worst charge that Paul makes against the Jews is that they killed Jesus, and that is, of course, horrendous. But if we read Paul more widely, we can't escape the fact that every human being is implicated in the death of Christ. We also do well to remember that Jesus was Jewish. Paul was Jewish, and so were all the first Christians. And and when Paul arrived in a new town, he'd usually go first to the synagogue to evangelize the Jews. In fact, at one point, Paul even says that he would forego. He would give up his own salvation if, if only that would save his people. Paul loved the Jews. So this passage should never be used to fuel anti-Jewish sentiment. 
But the point is that the word of God has been so life-changing for the Thessalonians that now they're suffering for their faith in Christ. But their suffering shows even more clearly how much they've changed. Chapter 1, verse 6 tells us that they have become joyful in their suffering. Joyful in their suffering. You know how we as Christians respond to affliction, persecution, hardship, suffering. It can be a tremendous witness to the world. The the, the word of God had changed the Thessalonians so much that they were displaying qualities and characteristics that no one had really ever seen before. This idea that they could be suffering so much and yet be joyful in the midst of it. The people around them, the pagan society uh, that surrounded them, just couldn't get their heads around this. What had happened to these people? I want to finish with an extract from an ancient document called the Epistle to Diognetus. And it's a, a very early Christian letter that commends... Uh, the conduct of Christ's followers, and it really shows just how much these people have changed, because you've got to remember that the people that this is written about were part of this pagan culture, um, which had all kinds of unhealthy and unwholesome practices attached to it. They completely changed and turned around. But let me let me read this extract about the early Christians. This is what it says about them. They are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of all things and yet abound in all. They are dishonored and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They are evil spoken of and yet are justified. They are reviled and blessed. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. They do good, yet are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners and are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. This is amazing, isn't it? These pagans have completely turned, changed direction, having heard the word of God and responded to it. The question is, will hearing the word of God be a life-changing event for you as it was for the early Christians and particularly the Thessalonians? And more than that, will it continue to be a life-changing event for you as you read it every day and allow yourself to be influenced by God's word, God's voice, God's small, still voice, easy to ignore, but dynamite when heeded? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power and the impact of your word. We thank you that it, we, we, know, we know that it was your word that brought creation into being, and those words are, are within the pages of our Bibles, sitting on our table or our shelf. We have access to your words. We pray, Father, that we'll be excited about hearing from you, that we'll be prayerful as we read our Bibles, looking to you to speak to us every time, to speak into our hearts and our lives and to bring change as you've brought change to everyone who has received your word for what it is. Heavenly Father, fill us with your spirit 
And just as you inspired the writers of the Bible to write this, we pray that you will inspire us to read it and act upon it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.